PFTOT Tuesday edition. Things we either couldn't get to or didn't have enough time to talk to the way we would like to. Chris Sims, Mike Florio here with you. And uh, Chris, we, we just mentioned Antonio Brown very briefly. He has said on Twitter that he's done with football. He's walking away from the game. The risks are too great, yada, yada. Look, we've seen this from him before, so I don't know what to take seriously from him. There still is an intense level of interest in Antonio Brown. I think people recognize he can still play at a high level. The problem is no one is signing him, and the league has yet to resolve three pending personal conduct policy investigations, one of which definitely will get him suspended. He pleaded no contest to felony charges in Florida as a result of an incident that happened earlier this year. Right. He could be suspended for the full season. I really do have a problem with the NFL's inability or unwillingness to process these cases faster because what happened was Antonio Brown missed 14 games last year because this was hanging over his head. And here we are. Almost 11 months after the first incident, the lawsuit that was filed against him for sexual assault and rape, and he still doesn't know what the punishment is. He still doesn't know if the league believes he's guilty, and they just continue to keep him hanging, and and no one wants him. And so he's thrown his hands up in the air again. I'm, I'm done. Now, look, maybe he'll change his mind as he has before, but, you know, the impediment is still there. Would you want him? If I could get him free and clear, and if I knew that I, if I could get him like with Tom Brady, not that the Buccaneers want him, yeah. or get him with a quarterback that I knew could control him, right. on a very low risk one strike arrangement, yeah, I, I, I mean, of course he's going to make my team better. Um, if if he's going to do what's expected of him, if he's truly learned from and been humbled by what's happened over the course of the I, last year, I, I would be interested in him. I know, but I, it doesn't look like to me that he's he's learned anything from it. And I mean, you know, you said it. There's, you know, he doesn't have a lawyer representing him in one case. That that's an issue with like the property de- defamation and the apartment there in Miami. That's be still an issue. You know, the NFL they. That, I, you know they're scared. Close. They don't want to just not property def- property destruction. I yeah, think is whatever, the word whatever it is. You know, what are those D words? All right, but either way, like, I, you know, again, the NFL doesn't want to like jump the shark here and just go, oh, we think you're okay and you can come back in the league, and then we find out like more stuff about them in some of the pending cases. So I, I think that's scary from from that standpoint. But they've had they've had every chance to investigate this guy. This is what I don't like about the system. Yeah. generally. They can take as long as they want. There's no deadlines. There's no triggers. There's no thou shalt get the investigation done within 60 days. And so they can, and they, the, the threat of him being on the commissioner exemplist has scared everyone away. So he has essentially served a 14-game suspension already, and they still could suspend him on top of it. So, look, I just think that from time to time he gets exasperated and he feels like he's helpless and he feels like he has no control over his situation. And he's right because the league continues to refuse to issue any decisions uh, or, or impose any discipline for the various things that the league continues to take under advisement. Yeah, uh, we're right. You know, I just I, to me, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if the NFL is deliberately dragging their feet a little bit with the guy like Antonio Brown. 
just to because you know they don't believe in his moral character as of late so they're not like in a, a rush the NFL is going to be fine with that Antonio Brown we all watched football last year when he got suspended and or was cut by the Patriots and and not in the league uh, I wasn't like oh I'm not going to watch this Sunday Antonio's not in the league you know it's going to keep going we know that the other thing Mike I'll just ask you because I, I don't even know does he have representation for as an agent right now because I know Drew Rosenhaus made those comments that he was going to drop him and wasn't going to, you know, continue to represent him unless he got help. And I never really heard more on that. And I haven't dug into it a little to make calls or figure out what's going on there. But I just wonder if he even has that right now at this point in time. I think he does. And I'll look it up as okay. we continue to have the conversation. Um, look, we know the guy can play. And, and we know that he has – Friends in the league. Tom Brady continues to have a high degree of loyalty to Antonio Brown. Russell Wilson seems to want Antonio Brown in Seattle. Remember last year when the Seahawks signed Josh Gordon after he was released by the Patriots, the reports were that it was down to Gordon and Antonio Brown. And the reason that Gordon got the job is he was available. Right. With Brown, who knows when he's available. So um, I, I just I – just, you know, the problem is certain – players are not sympathetic figures and Antonio Brown is not a sympathetic figure. So the NFL can mistreat him, right. can drag their feet right. and no one cares. Right. No one's going to stick their neck out for Antonio Brown. Yeah. And the problem is it's just a horrible precedent to set. It's an abuse of the spirit of this process that the NFL has put in place to police the private lives of players. And I guess my point is this. If you're going to police the private lives of players, the things they do away from work, you owe it to all players to move a little more quickly than yeah, you're moving and let real. guys know where they stand right. so they can get back to making a living yeah, or at I, least know they need to move on. Right. Uh, agreed. You're right. They don't give any finality or, or anything there to give the guy a chance of what to do with the next move or do I stay here and just stay status quo. Uh, I think that's a, a brilliant point by you. And you're right. It, 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 it's not fair from that standpoint, even for a guy like Antonio Brown, who's had a laundry, laundry list of issues. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I have a feeling this will be the end of Antonio Brown in my heart of hearts, Mike. I don't know how you feel about it um, because I just don't know if a team will ultimately make that decision to move on. Uh, but either way, it's, it's been a phenomenal career. I mean, right, he's, he's going to the Hall of Fame, right? I mean, I think he's going to the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's, he's, I know, it's close, but he was – I don't know. He's don't definitely know. was one of the two or three best receivers in football for, I would say, what, a five, five to six-year run? And really, I'll tell you the other thing that just jumps out to me about his career, if this is it. I mean, what was he, a sixth-round pick? You know, four years. Central in, Michigan, sixth yeah, round. Yeah, four years in college. Like, you know, really, you don't see NFL superstar wide receivers, especially, who really ever stay in school past their junior year. It's very rare you see a four-year college wide receiver be the star of a team. It's really rare. So between that and being a six-round pick, man, did he overcome some odds. And uh, I know he worked hard and worked for it, and he was awesome to watch when he was in his prime. I would say at one point J.J. Watt and Antonio Brown were on the same Central Michigan team because that's where Watt got oh, started before he transferred right. to Wisconsin as a right. walk-on. It's that same time frame. But, uh, look, I don't know about him making it to the Hall of Fame. We know how flawed that process is. He's going to have to wait at a minimum, and he's going to have to get some redemption at some point. I'm just – frustrated by the fact that you know for a guy who just needs help I feel like the NFL has found a way to freeze him out and they have him in this weird limbo and it's almost like let's see him how, how much pressure we can put on him to get him to do more stuff that we can stack on top of the things we already 
are investigating him for. And if we can frustrate him enough, he'll do enough that we never have to deal with this guy again because he didn't want to play ball with our rules on what helmet you can wear. I just feel like the NFL still has lingering animosity toward the guy over that helmet fiasco from last year, and they've decided in a roundabout way they don't want him anymore, period. Uh, And, you know, it's unfortunate for teams, Chris, because once guys start testing positive for COVID-19, it's not going to be long before his phone rings if he's available to play, but the problem is he's not available to play. No, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, it's messed up. It's something that I, I certainly will take away from this conversation. I'm, I'm, you're right. The NFL's got to be a little faster with this type of process. You get, you're ruining people's lives. You're not letting them move on. And, you know, again, you know, Antonio Brown, not to be disrespectful. I mean, he's put on earth to be a receiver in the NFL. I mean, that's what he is built to do. And, you know, you only have so many years to capitalize off that in your career. He certainly made the mistake, so he's got to pay, pay the price a little bit. But, you know, how long do you have to pay the price? You're right. Uh, that does bother me about the NFL. So we'll see. But I, I'm betting he doesn't, Mike. I'm betting this is it. I really think it is it. I don't, I don't know why. I don't well, have a reason. But I'm saying he's, he's done. I don't think he's ever going to play again either. Okay. Will, will, he, will he never rescind his latest retirement? I, I'm not ready to say that that you know we've heard the last from Antonio Brown but I do believe the NFL has this this table set in a way that prevents Antonio Brown as a practical matter from ever playing again. Uh, Ed Wazaleski is the current agent of record for Antonio Brown according to NFL PA documents. So it did go from Drew Rosenhaus there was a period of time where Antonio Brown was unrepresented but he does have an agent not that that is getting him any closer to playing again especially now that he for now is retired. Michael Bennett, one of the dominant defensive players of the last decade, is now officially retired from the NFL. When he was great, he was as great as anyone in the NFL. He had those those little kid Ed McCaffrey shoulder pads. Oh, right. He had, I mean, bare exposed shoulders, right? He wanted to give the offensive lineman nothing to hold, and uh, uh, they, they could not stop him. He was the biggest concern the Patriots had in Super Bowl Forty Nine, by way of what the Seahawks had on their defense. And, uh, you know, a great career for a guy who, as, as you know, as you say all the time, and this is, as you said earlier today, this is the origin of your F up the play stat. Yeah. He's not going to have a ton of sacks. He's not going to have a ton of tackles. What he's going to do is blow up the play and make it easier for his teammates to get to the ball. Right. That's exactly right. It'd be one of the more underappreciated players, you know, of the 2000s to me is probably what he's going to go down as. One of my favorite players of the last decade. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I know we talked about it a little bit at the end of the show, but – uh, I think you can make a real argument, you know, that 2013, 14, 15, even to 2016, you could legitimately say he was the best defensive player in football. He was unblockable. He really was. And I know, I mean, like you mentioned, you know, in America's game when the Patriots had to play the Seahawks, that's all they worried about, you know, and they had a nickname for him. And I can't remember either, but it was like an endearing name because he just messed up so many plays and he was such a headache. And I can't remember what it is off the top of my head here. But yeah, I mean, he was one of those guys that it's really where I, on my podcast, that's, it's where I started. I'd be watching film. People would ask me about Seattle and blah, blah, blah. And I'd go, I don't know. I mean, Seattle's awesome. Hey, Bobby Wagner, Richard Sherman, you know, Cam Chancellor, amazing. But I was like, this 72 guy, he Fs the play up, 
every freaking play almost and bust into the backfield. Running back has to stop, redirect, you know, tackle for a one yard loss, you know, drop back quarterback. Oh man, he's got to abandon the pocket. Somebody else gets the sack or it's an incomplete pass. Wait, let me go rewind that play. Oh, well, it's Michael Bennett split a double team right up the middle in the face of the quarterback, ruined the play. So uh, phenomenal, phenomenal football player. And, um, a great guy to be around. I, I like being around the Bennett brothers, and I really like being My- Michael Bennett. He is extremely smart, thoughtful, and you know, he make you. He'll make people think. That's for sure. He really is a, a deep thinker that way. He really did deserve more credit than he got. He made it to the Pro Bowl three times, 2015, 2016, 2017. He was the NFC Defensive Player of the Week one time in his career, and I think this is very telling. Even though I'm not a big fan of the NFL's annual top 100 players of any given year list, I think it's it's kind of a flawed process. What they do is they 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 distribute a sheet of paper right. to a bunch of players and say list the top 20 guys in the NFL, and they cobble that together into a list of 100 guys. He was 90th in 2015, which is ridiculous. Yes, 59th in 2016 and 46th in 2017, and I think he just gets forgotten yeah. if you tell somebody. List the top 20 players in the NFL. Even when Michael Bennett was at his peak, you're not going to think of him because he doesn't get a lot of press. He didn't have a lot of numbers. He's not a guy that you think of when you're only thinking of a handful of players, even though he should have been right. a guy that you're thinking of. And if it's a guy that Bill Belichick is thinking of when he's got all those great Seahawks defensive players he's got to contend with, and the first guy that he needs to neutralize is Michael Bennett, that tells you all you need to know about how good Michael Bennett was. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It tells you all you need to know. And it, it's, it's the, you know, with Belichick, yeah, he's the notable one. But, man, I know – a lot of coaches back in that day that were always like, man, this Michael Bennett, this Michael Bennett. I mean, he was a guy you had a legitimately game plan for. You couldn't leave your guard man-to-man on Michael Bennett too often. You know, he was really a defensive end who had the strength to play defensive tackle, and that's where he was really rare. I mean, you know, he's 280 pounds, maybe high 270s, but – it's unbelievable his strength and his ability to be slippery and just slide, you know, get skinny, as we say in the NFL. There's a gap, and he could go through like this and just shoot through because he had unbelievable explosion. And I think that's the big reason he wore those shoulder pads, Mike, because he felt like, you know, just gave an offensive lineman less area to really get their hands and gloves on to where it could, you know, impede his movements and things. And it's amazing he played football that long and never had a – that just tells you what a beast he was, that he could play in those shoulder pads and never even be hurt or anything bothered by it. Undrafted out of Texas A&M with the Seattle Seahawks in 2009 for a brief period of time. Then with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, joined the Seahawks after becoming a free agent in Tampa. His best years were with the Seahawks 2013 through 2017. One year with the Eagles, one year with the Patriots, not even a full year with the Patriots, part of a year with the Patriots, and then finished his career with the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah, for that 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 narrow window, 2014 through 2017, one of the finest defensive players in all of football. And it's just it's unfortunate that he didn't get more credit because I don't think he's going to be remembered, Chris, the way that he should be. When you think back of the guys that have played over the last 15, 20 years, it's amazing when you're reminded of different names of guys you've just completely forgotten about. You remember the stars. Right. There are a lot of guys who have played that you forget about. My concern is he's going to fall into that, that vat of yeah. guys that 10, 15 years from now people forget about. Yeah, you're right. You know, it, it makes me – I'm interested here. Just, you know, did he make the all-decade team? 
You know, no, yeah, I know. You know, that's, 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 that's unbelievable too. You know, I'd, I'd have a hard time. You know, I understand Aaron Donald. He's certainly got to be on there. Other defensive tackles. I can't remember who the other defensive tackle was on the all decade team, but Michael Bennett would be one of those guys who, you know, I, I think could have been in that conversation and just unfortunate. It's, it's again, it goes into the, you know, the stats era and that's what we are really in. People just look at stats as a bottom line thing and they don't look at the context of, the situation and what he did and how he affected the game and everything like that. And so often with these type of guys too, they don't get their credit until they're almost past their prime. Like, you know, like you said, 2017, he's 46 best player in the NFL and the NFL, like he should have been the 46 best player at the end of the 2013 season. I mean, you go back, watch the, you know, that Broncos Super Bowl and that playoff run, you know, with Michael Bennett that year when, when the Seahawks beat them. He was all over the place. It's just an absolute nightmare. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It's one thing I've realized, Mike, doing this show with you the last few years, every now and then we bring up a name, and I think I'm, I'm with you. I think Michael Bennett could be that name 10 years from now where you go, damn, he was a good player. Gosh, I forgot about him. Wow, he was good. You know, it's just it's unreal. But if you don't make the Hall of Fame or you're not one of those big superstars, it just doesn't seem to stick in your brain the same way. Four all-decade defensive ends and four all-decade defensive tackles. The defensive ends, Calais Campbell, Cam Jordan, Julius Peppers, J.J. Watt. The defensive tackles, Geno Atkins, Fletcher Cox, Aaron Donald, and Dominican Sue. Ooh, yeah. Man, I really I like to see – I love Geno Atkins. He's a, a baller, but that like I'd probably look at that and go, I probably would have gave Michael Bennett the edge over Geno Atkins, and I, th- I think the world of Geno Atkins. But uh, I mean, Bennett, you know, to me was borderline unblockable there for about a four-year period. What about Calais Campbell, Michael well, Bennett? Well, I know, yeah, that's a it's a good one too. Well, see, what I would really want to argue there is Calais Campbell is a defensive tackle, really, but he's played in a three-four scheme where they listed defensive end as the position because they do things differently that way. And that's, to me, where the conversation sometimes in this type of stuff gets a little mixed up, too. I mean, Clayus Campbell is not like, you know, oh, we want you to come off the edge and just do that play after play after play after play. He can do that because he's a, a, a specimen. But, yeah, I think he's more D-tackle than he is D-end. Yeah, you know, a lot of times with DT and D, when you get into these lists, they get all screwed up. Yeah, I mean, the do. bottom line, there were eight defensive linemen on yeah. the all-decade team, and none of them – Michael Bennett, and I think you could make a case that he maybe should have had one of those spots. All right, uh, that's it for PFTOT on this Tuesday. We'll be back on Wednesday with more PFT Live. ProFootballTalk.com around the clock. Plenty of stuff happening in the NFL as they get everything lined up, Chris. The money is next, I think. They get the money worked out. We'll be ready to go for football season, and then we just have to hope that that the the league and the union work together during the pandemic. Please let there be football. Good day, man. I, you know, I think there will be. I'm starting to get optimistic. I'm feeling I good, think too. Gonna, I think they're going to work it out. I think we're going to have it. I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll see you tomorrow. Check with me tomorrow. Yeah. Check with me tomorrow. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Today, I feel good. All right. Everybody have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday. See ya.